so we're in a series right now uh, called Remember This. In these last four weeks or so, I'm just pulling together four things that I want to say to the church family, hey, remember this. And this morning on Baptism Sunday, our topic is Jesus, the one and the only Savior. I want to start like this. Uh, Nearly 49 years now, I've been standing in front of people on Sundays calling them to place their faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior sent into our broken world to bring us back to God. And I've also called upon those who have received him by faith to take the step of water baptism because that is what Jesus commanded his followers to do. We're going to talk a little bit more about why in just a minute. But first of all, there's a question. There's one question that has always been important to me during all the years of my teaching and and, uh, talking about Jesus Christ. And the question really is a foundational question because it's this. How can you be sure about Jesus? How can you be sure about all this Jesus story? It's a fair question, and there are a lot of people who ask that question. In fact, I asked myself that question in the middle of my third year of undergraduate school, uh, where I was actually preparing. I'd already been in school three and a half years preparing to be a pastor and to teach, teach the story of Christ to people. And uh, so I'd been raised believing that the story of Jesus was true, I never gave it a thought until that day, halfway through that year, when the question sort of invaded my mind, and I could not get that question out of my mind, uh, and it shook me. I, I wanted with all my soul to believe that the story of Jesus is true, but how, how could I be sure? Well, the first thing I did, uh, I thought this could solve this problem really quickly, Uh, I was in my dorm room. I remember sitting on the edge of my bed during that cloud season of doubt. And I asked the Lord to send someone to knock on my door within the next few minutes who would then say something like this to me. Jim, I'm here to tell you, because the Lord heard your prayer, (laughs) I'm here to tell you that he really does exist. He's really there. The Jesus story is true. And I thought if the Lord could miraculously send someone to my door like that, hey, my, my problems are solved. My doubt's gone. Well, I waited and I waited and I waited. I don't, I don't remember if I got up and looked out the door to see if anybody was coming, but nobody ever came to the door. And so I was stuck there under a cloud of doubt. I didn't tell anybody about it. I was ashamed to have those questions. I didn't go to my professors and say, hey, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I was ashamed to, I was ashamed. Uh, But you know what? What I've learned since, uh, you don't have to be ashamed to have questions. In fact, if you have honest doubts about faith, I think it's a great and healthy thing to ask those questions. But I think it's also a great and healthy thing to do something in addition to asking the questions, and that is to take some action. And you know what? That's what finally I did in my circumstance. Uh, What I did, I began to do some investigation 
of the written records about Jesus from his four major biographers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And uh, what I discovered as I got into my investigations was that each one of those biographers wrote the story of Jesus based upon multiple, and I want to emphasize multiple, eyewitness accounts of Jesus. Now, Matthew and John themselves, they were, they were personally eyewitnesses. They were part of the inner circle of Jesus during those three years of his ministry. Uh, and then Mark, who wasn't part of that inner circle, but he became a very close associate of Peter, who was Peter the Apostle. And Mark was pretty much, he, he just recorded the personal account of Peter. And then Luke, he sort of stands out because Luke was a trained historian in the university from the University of Antioch to the north, a famous education center in that day. And Luke spent two years from A.D. 57 to A.D. 59 interviewing scores of people who had not only seen and heard Jesus, but had some of whom had been healed by him, who had seen his miraculous works. And so as I began to, and there's much more investigation that I can talk about today, but what I saw was that as I studied those biographies, the major focus of what each of those four biographers were writing over and over is this, two things. They were writing what Jesus, who Jesus said that he was in his own words and what he in his own words said he had come into the world to do. Now, here's a short list of those things just from the biographer John. A, a short list of about six statements that Jesus made about his identity, and I think you'll see as we go down this list. <laughs> these are extremely bold statements for a person to make about who they are. For instance, I am the light of the neighborhood. No, <laughs> I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door to life. I am the good shepherd. Here's one that's really powerful. I am the resurrection. What does that mean? Jesus was saying, I am the author of life. Death can't keep me down. I've come to conquer death because I, I'm, I'm the author and source of life. In other words, he was saying, I'm God. And then he, he put it all together in this statement when he said, I am the way. You notice he didn't say, I am a way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father, God the Father, except they come through me. Those are extremely bold statements. And so I begin to see from these statements that Jesus made about himself what C.S. Lewis, the famous professor of English literature at Oxford and Cambridge Universities in the beginning and through the middle of the 20th century, who also came to Christ out of deep doubt, out of hardcore atheism. I began to see what he had seen when he himself began to investigate the written records about Jesus Christ. And I want to read for you his own words. Uh, and remember, his expertise 
He was an expert in ancient literature. That was his expertise. That was his field. And so he says this, now as a literary historian, I am perfectly convinced that whatever else the Gospels, those written records of Jesus are, they are not legends. I have read a great deal of legend, and I am quite clear that they are not the same sort of thing. Apart from bits of the Platonic dialogues, there is no conversation I know of in ancient literature like the fourth gospel. That is the Gospel of John, from which I just quoted. There is nothing, even in modern literature, until about 100 years ago, when the realistic novel came into existence. And then Lewis goes on to say this. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. That is, I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious he was neither a lunatic nor a lying fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Powerful statement from C.S. Lewis. And it was that kind of investigation and a lot more that helped me over that year and a half that doubt to begin to lift. And you know what? As a result of that wrestling match with doubt, my faith became much stronger than it ever had been before. You know, in years before that, I had believed with my heart and my emotions and my intuition. I believed. But you know what? When I was 20 years old, my mind was saying to me, hey, Jim, I'd like to be a part of your faith too. <laughs> my intellect was saying, Jim, can I have a place in this faith? Is there room in this faith for, for some intellect too? And you know what? I've discovered there's more than enough room for intellect along with our heart, our emotion, and our intuition when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And that is exactly why God saw to it that Jesus' words and his life were firmly anchored in real history. Because this is not a faith that's just sort of suspended out there in the mystical universe that we just sort of force ourselves to believe with some sort of wistful hope that, well, maybe it's true. i got to believe something, so maybe, maybe this Jesus thing is really true. No, our faith definitely touches heaven. It or, it, its origins is in heaven. But I want to tell you something. You can stand with your feet square on, on the earth in the midst of human history and declare that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Our intellect can be a part of this game. 
We don't have to leave our brains outside the church door to be a Christian. And that's always been extremely important to me. So I want to say this. If you struggle with honest doubt, your questions are valid. So do more than just ask questions, though. Or do more, do more than sit there with your doubt. Act. Investigate. Now, what I've done, if anyone so desires, is I have a, I've put the outline of this message on the information desk out there, and on the back side of it, I've listed about six different resources. If you're questioning, having struggles with doubt, you can take a look at those, because those are some of the resources that help me. Uh, there are both some books, or there's some uh, YouTube things you can watch, audio, audio, audio books, whichever way you go. There's resources out there that you can take a look at. Uh, and, um, and then I would also say this, that I'm always happy to sit down with anybody that has honest questions. I'd be delighted to do that uh, and just do the best we can to talk it over. So feel free to take, take that opportunity as well. Now, um, so here, okay, anyway, I went on to graduate and I became a pastor and been doing it for about 49 years now. And uh, my faith is stronger than ever before in Jesus Christ. I want to condense real quickly here in like three sentences. What, what is the message of Jesus? What was his mission? What he, who was he? I've said who he was. What did he come to do? Okay, the center of what Jesus said about himself was that he was the son of God. Without sin, on a rescue mission to rescue you and I from our own self-destruction by rescuing us from three things. Number one, to forgive us of our sins by taking the blame and judgment for our sins on that cross by dying for us. Secondly, to heal the wounds inflicted and received from our sinning against each other and the wounds and damage that we've done to each other as a human family by sinning against each other. He came to heal us and restore us. And thirdly, uh, to rescue us from the hopelessness that death is the end, our own end, and the end of our loved ones. I've conducted many funerals over the years. I don't think I've ever had anyone at a funeral say to me, you know what, Pastor Jim, I'm... I'm happy that I'm never going to see my loved one again. I've never had anybody say anything like that to me. Why is that? Because with every ounce of aspiration and longing that is in the human frame, we're standing at that casket saying, I can't bear, to, to, I can't bear the thought that this is all over. I, I don't, I, I'm never going to see this person again, this loved one. I can't bear it. Jesus came to teach us that despair and grave is not the end of our significance or of our loved one's significance. There's more meaning and depth to humanity than that. Jesus came to tell us that. In fact, he came to restore us to the confidence that that is true. And I want to say to people here that have lost loved ones, in Christ and because of the hope we have in him, the time you have to spend with that loved one in the future is far greater than what you've ever known in the past. 
That's the hope. And this is not some wistful pipe dream. It's grounded in the Jesus Christ of history and faith that we can trust. So, that resonates what I think is inside the human heart. One thing I noticed, and this tacks right onto that, evil and death don't win. You know, as you read each of those four biographies, what you'll see is a movement in each of them toward the, toward the uh, closing week of Christ's life, his death and resurrection. And you know what happens is each of them close with multiple eyewitness testimonies that they also saw Jesus after his resurrection. In fact, the Apostle Paul says the number was around 500 who saw him after his resurrection. Uh, Jesus was teaching us that his resurrection paves the way for our resurrection, for our eternal life. So there's great hope in him. Our part is to come to Christ with faith, bringing our head, our heart, our emotion, and our will and intentionally placing our faith in him. And when we do that, he promises to respond by revealing himself experientially to the person who receives him with sincerity into their life. That's his promise. And when a person comes to faith in Christ, he calls them to be baptized. And that's where we come to what we're doing today. Why is that? Because water baptism is a public testimony of faith. Because baptism is is a very clear, public, outward picture of what takes place inwardly and spiritually inside a person when they place their faith in Christ. So, So it is not this act of water baptism today that imparts salvation. It's what it represents. A person who received Christ. So when, that, so when we're going to be lowering some people here in a moment into that water, it's a picture of the cleansing away of all the past, the sins and guilt or the shame of the past. Because Jesus took that sin, that shame and guilt, he took it all on himself so that we could be forgiven. And then when we raise each of these people up out of the water, That's a picture of the brand new life, a brand new beginning that we have in Jesus Christ, mainly because he himself enters into that person and shares his eternal life with them. And so that's the groundwork of a brand new kind of life. Uh, And and, and to set uh, that person free from all the baggage and the habits and the wounds of the past as they continue to grow in their faith. Now, just before we come to these baptisms then, I wanna clear up just a couple misconceptions about salvation. These are pretty common misconceptions. One of them is, if I do good, I will earn salvation. I'd say that's the most most common mistake that people make about belief in God and salvation and eternal life, as if if the list of the good things, I have a little illustration here. This is very, uh, this didn't take a lot of artwork or art ability on my part uh, at all, as you're going to see, but hopefully it's going to make the, the, the point that I'm trying to make. Um, 
what, we, what many people hope is that on the day they stand before God, the list of the good things they have done, okay, is longer than the list of the bad things, okay? And so if we stand before God someday and the, the list of good things that we have done is, is longer than this list, then the Lord's going to say, hey, man, all right, uh, come on on in, okay? <laughs> now, however, there is, there's a hitch with this. If, let me lay that down for just a second, uh, if the list of, if we can get there on our own, let's put it that way, by our own good efforts, then there was no need whatsoever for Jesus to even come into the world. There was certainly no need for him to go to the cross, bear our sins, and die. There was no reason for the resurrection, because if we can get there on our own, why do I need Jesus? So we can't earn salvation on our own, no matter how long our list of good things is, because no matter how long that list is, we still have this list on our record. It's still there. And God can't just look the other way and pretend that it isn't there. If God did that, he would be compromising his own character. He would be less than sinless. He'd be compromising with evil. God can't do that. And there's the human dilemma right there. We've all sinned. Some solution had to be found. And the solution is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish in their sins but would have everlasting life. And you know what the Apostle Paul said? Literally, he said in the book of Colossians that the, the list, your list and mine, all of us have a list like this. When Jesus was on that cross, this list was nailed to that cross, telling us that all the charges that were against us, Jesus, they were put against Jesus on our behalf when he died on that cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have that brand new beginning in a relationship with him that'll last forever. I can't think, I cannot think of a greater deal offered anywhere than that. Jesus did that. Here's the second misconception, and our kids are starting to come in, so keep them coming, <laughs> okay. Our, the second mis misconception is this, I'm not good enough to come to Jesus yet. I'm not worthy to come to him. I have too much to be ashamed of, or I have done some things that are just horrible. God couldn't possibly receive me. You know, sometimes people have been told all their life that they're unworthy, they're damaged goods, they have no value. And so I have to make myself a little bit better, more acceptable before I can come to Jesus. I think there's a cart before the horse problem right there. Kids are coming, okay. I know that you're all looking at them instead of listening to me. I understand that. Okay. Anyway, here's the point I want to make. A cart before the horse problem here. The whole reason we come to Jesus 
is so that he can redeem us from our broken lives. And so I would not use this logic if I were sick. Hey, I'm sick, but I'm going to wait till I get a little bit better, and then I'll go see the doctor. No, you come to Jesus as you are. And so I want to set before you a decision this morning. Have you placed your faith in Jesus as Savior? Are you ready to do that if you never have? If you are, I would like you to sincerely join in this prayer that I'm going to ask us all to pray right now. This is for us all to pray, whether this is the first time you've ever prayed this prayer or, or you've been following Christ for years and years. So, so would you bow your heads with me right now? And I'm going to just, I'm going to lead us in this prayer and you can repeat it after me phrase by phrase. Let's pray it together. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to take the blame for my sins. I confess that I have sinned. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I invite you into my life. I surrender my life to you. Be the center of my life. I receive you now as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you genuinely meant it today, or if you're, if you're here today and you've placed your faith in Christ a long time ago, but you've never taken the step of water baptism, then in a few moments, along with these that have already uh, prepared to be baptized today, we're going to provide that opportunity. If you're here today and you know Christ and you are certain of your faith in him, we'll invite you in a few moments. We have some extra towels up here. You can be baptized here today. But I want to emphasize, uh, take this step only if you are absolutely certain that you have committed your life to Christ uh, and you know him as your savior, then you'll have that opportunity in a few moments. Now, that doesn't apply to our children. These are things that kids talk over with their parents and the pastors and things like that to make sure they can articulate and they fully understand what they're doing, which the kids that are being baptized here today do, uh, and we're grateful for that. But for anyone uh, you know, junior high and above who has made that commitment to Christ, uh, you would like to follow him in water baptism today, 